right? And let's pray together real briefly once again. Father, we do thank you for the salvation that we have. Thank you for the joy that we have of coming together, of opening your word freely, not having to worry about the judgment, the condemnation, the threats of violence that our brothers and sisters, some of our brothers and sisters around the world face. So God, as we open your word together, as we open it freely, we pray that you would speak. Give us insight and understanding, a greater insight and understanding into who you are, what you've done, and how we should live in light of that. Father, we ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open it to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, this will be our last time for now in the book of Hebrews. We're going to uh, talk today about the benediction, this whole series. I've been using these two verses as the closing benediction of our services. We're going to really kind of think about that. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about something else, something that may be on your mind already. And that is stress. I don't know about you guys, but every now and then I get stressed out and just ask my family and they'll tell you, yes, he is stressed out. But think about this. What is the origin of our stress? Sometimes it comes from work, pressures at work, the boss having extreme expectations on your life or or maybe it's things at home. Things aren't going just quite right. He's not hearing what you're saying. She's not understanding. The kids are just kids. Or adding to that, we have the whole holidays. This season from Halloween, maybe, all the way through New Year's. And in that same time in our household, we, we don't really sell, do too much with Halloween, but there's Zach's birthday. There's a couple other birthdays on Danielle's side. There's an anniversary. There's my birthday. There's our anniversary. There's Christmas thrown in there and all the mix. Oh, I forgot about Thanksgiving. Thank you. That's the one we're celebrating this week. I appreciate it, Max. I... And then we have the pressures, the stresses from family and friends. There's also the worries that are outside of our control. Those political battles that seem to be never ending. Or that medical diagnosis that you didn't see coming. But you can't do anything about. But you know, I was, as I was thinking about this a little bit this week, I was thinking about this whole season, this time of year, why is it so stressful? And, and Google is really good for things like that. And here's some reasons Google gave us for why this season is so stressful. One is a lack of time. There's just too many parties to attend and not enough time to get to them all. Or there's not enough time to do all the things that you really want to get to and still have time for yourself. Or there's the lack of money. You've got gifts for this person, that person, all these people. And if you've got a big family, you know that that takes a lot of money. And the paycheck's still the same. Your boss doesn't give you a whole lot extra this time of year. 
There's the commercialization of all that's going on and these external expectations. You have to send out a Christmas card. You have to tell everybody that you only talk to once every couple of years how things are going in your life. And writing that and being poetic about it is stressful. My mom is always good about that. She would write these things and she would use the meter of "Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. And she would write stories and oh, it's the stress, the pressure of that. But think about this. How do we typically handle our stress? Some people, certain personalities, well, some people like to numb it with distractions. Maybe it's video games or watching too much TV or getting into unhealthy other habits. Some people, if you have a certain personality like I do, you might want to sleep it away, right? Why get up if it's all going to be a mess? There's no stress when you're sleeping. But in the reality, it only makes it worse. Or you can gut it up, you can just press on, or you can ignore the stress. You can try to just, no, life is fine, and everything inside you is boiling over. You can just try to schedule away any margin, or unfortunately, as I sometimes do, you get angry. You take all that stress out on those who are closest to you. And I bring that up because one of the key elements that I think we're going to get to is the opposite of stress, which is peace, as we think about this passage today. But see, the the first century audience of this book, we, we talked a lot about them, but I want you to understand this. They had different kinds of stresses than we have. All the stresses that, I mean, we're kind of really dealing with first world problems, right? The problems that people around the world may not encounter. Things that we really should consider blessings that everybody else would say, oh, wow, your life is so easy. But our brothers and sisters in the first century, think about it like this. Some of the stresses they encountered was the fact that Christianity, the faith that they had adopted, was illegal. They could not openly worship without risking arrest or punishment. Talk about stress. Were you stressed out coming to church? What stressed you? Was it what you were going to wear? I know that worries me. In fact, I had to go to last week's YouTube thing just to make sure I'm not wearing the same thing that I wore last week. But imagine the stress of gathering, fearing that you might not come home. And then on top of that, you have extended family members who are still Jews who are saying, you believe in that Jesus Messiah? He's not the Messiah. Come back. Come and, and do be participate in what God called us to in the, in, the, in the covenant. But here's the thing. The writer of Hebrews is writing this now to Jewish background believers, Christians, who had left that old sacrificial system. Just a few years after this book was written, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And there has not been sacrifices in that same way for Jews ever since. So it makes you wonder, how do they fulfill the old covenant? Why did God allow the temple to be destroyed? And I think ultimately it's because he had already provided a means. He had already done that perfect sacrifice. 
So as the writer of Hebrews brings this letter to a conclusion, he offers up a prayer or a benediction that seems to encapsulate so much of what he has covered. Now, if you if you think very briefly about all the things that we've talked about, we talked about the, the supremacy of Jesus. We've talked about all the things that he has done. Now, listen to his benediction. Listen to his closing prayer for the, the for his first century audience in Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. He says now. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we conclude our study, let's reflect on two key elements in this prayer. We could dive into all the phrases, and I thought about doing that, but I want us just to be able to settle in on two key things. And if you want to take notes in your outline in the bulletin, here's the first one, and that is this, that God is the God of true and lasting peace. God is the God of true and lasting peace. This time of year, we like to talk a lot about peace. We sing extra songs that have peace. Let there be peace on earth. I started too high. We want people to get along. We want an absence of stress. And while we may end up with moments of tranquility, that peace will ultimately not last. And get this, added into all the normal complexities of holidays, now we have COVID. On my way over here this morning, I was listening to the news. I listened to way too much news. And, and they were talking about the fact that now at gatherings, we're going to have to ask people, are you vaccinated? Are you not? Are you going to mask? Or are you not going to mask? Well, you might not be able to come if you don't check all these boxes. Talk about adding stress in a time when we really need peace. And in this prayer, the writer of Hebrews prays, As he prays, he packs it with a great deal of substance that is truly worthy of meditation. But let's think about this first verse. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now think about this. God is a God of peace. Is that how you view God? Is that how you think about him? God is a God of peace. We could read through the Old Testament. We think God is not a God of peace. But think about this. The whole sacrificial system was there so that we would understand our sinfulness. And we would recognize his holiness. And there would be peace between us and God. But then why did Jesus come and die? Why is it important as he prays here that God brought him back from the dead. You see, he did that to bring peace, permanent, eternal peace between us and himself. And when it comes to true and lasting peace, the ultimate source of our stress is our sin. Now think about, we don't often think about that. Oh yeah, I, reckon, I have to recognize my sin. We get so comfortable, I think, in our own sinful condition that it's easy just to rationalize. Oh, that's just part of what it means to be human. But when it comes down to the eternal consequences of our sin, 
Without Jesus, we have no hope. But beyond just the eternal consequences, our sin has very real consequences today. Think about it. Have you ever had that sense? And maybe it's just because I have a guilty conscience and I just internalize things that way. But do you ever notice there's that stress of when there's that unconfessed sin in you that you know you really need to deal with, either with God or with someone else? The psalmist in Psalm 32 wrote this in, in response to that. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Here's that part. Here's that guilt. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. You said we, we may have a tendency to rationalize our sin, but ultimately we can't escape from the pressure that mounts, us with, mounts up within us as we, as it says here, kind of waste away. As the stress of our sinful condition weighs heavy on our bodies. And one way that God brings peace is by dealing with our sin, not just for a moment, but for all eternity. And so we have that covered once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus. But then we have to recognize that daily you and I still sin. Daily we have struggles that we face with. We will still mess up. In fact, it's, but because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have no reason to fear judgment. God judged Jesus on our behalf. And if we would only receive his salvation by faith, that eternal consequence would be, would be gone in our, in our souls. You see, in the Jewish sacrificial system, they had to regularly go and address their sin. And their covenant was dependent on their ability to continue to obey what God had placed before them. But through Jesus, we have, as, he, as the writer of Hebrews prays here, an eternal covenant. But the psalmist continues reflecting on the health of confession. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I don't know who the you is. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's another person. But he writes, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you. When you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. But not only does God bring true and lasting peace through Jesus Christ. But because Jesus is the great shepherd. He is, the perpetu- he is perpetual comfort. He knows us. He knows our needs. He knows our concerns. In fact, in John 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
You see, Jesus not only knows the stress of our sin, but after all, because after all, it cost him his life. But he knows those present stresses. As our shepherd, he knows what we need. He knows what needs to be fixed. We need to recognize and trust that he's got this. He knows what that frustration is from that broken relationship. I think he understands that financial stress that you encounter when that unexpected bill comes up. Those relationships at work, that health concern. But because God is the God of true and lasting peace, the next thing we get to understand in this prayer is that God equips. God equips. Let me read again Hebrews 13. I'm going to cut out a portion of it, but 1320 to 21 says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see that word that we have translated as equip has with it the connotation or to supply or, or, or to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. It, it's as though you have everything you need to accomplish this task. But there's another sense that, that we see this word equip used throughout the New Testament. And that is, it's, it's used to refer to restoring or repairing or mending. In fact, one commentator, Raymond Brown, notes that this word is used of the disciples as they were mending their nets. And so he reflects on that. And he says, in, in equipping his people with everything good, our God is able not only to supply what is necessary but also to repair what is broken. Now, ultimately, what God has repaired is our broken relationship with him, our corrupted sin nature. But when we look at the substance of this prayer, we are equipped or repaired in order to do his will. God equips and prepares us internally and spiritually, but I also believe that he does that within the body of the community, within the church. When we can cast our burdens on God and share them with one another, we get to experience firsthand that restoring and that equipping power of God through each other. And we saw a few weeks ago how the Old Testament saints in Hebrews chapter 11, how they provided for us a testimony about God's faithfulness as they sought to live out by faith. They experienced shame and disgrace by human standards, but got to experience the full fullness of life as they followed God obediently. In Hebrews chapter 12, we, we saw that in light of their testimony, we should run with endurance the race or the life that God has ordained for us, recognizing that it will be a challenging and difficult race, but it will be worth it as God works in us to perfect us and to sanctify us. But our running is not running alone. We saw that Jesus ran that race for us. And he too endured shame. But kept running for the glory of God. We also get to consider how the true... We got to consider how the true sacrifices or the services that we render to God entail love for one another. Which implies that God has given us a community in which to live. We also got to see how we should love or show hospitality toward outsiders and 
Show love toward those who are persecuted. We saw how we should, as we live, walk with contentment. Trusting in God's good wisdom and his provision. You see, I think God equips us to run the race, to love, to live in community, to grow toward one another. I, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but there, there's some, sometimes when, when we just feel like we're not sufficient for the task before us. And yet I want to encourage you. God has gifted you with everything you need to do the things that he has called you to. Look at what it says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a little bit of a longer passage, and, and I think it's truly worth maybe meditating on this afternoon or sometime this week. But 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8 says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has equipped us. As we close, I want to just encourage you and challenge you, ask you a couple things. And if you've not yet walked into a, a true relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you to receive that. He died once and for all. His payment covered everything. Years ago, I was a part of an evangelism program, and one of the things that, that they, one of the statements they had in this program was that God's salvation, the salvation through Jesus Christ is available to everyone. It's available to all, but it's not automatic. You must respond. And if you've not responded yet, let today be the day that you do that. Talk to someone who's sitting next to you or come talk to me afterwards. And I'd love to help you understand what it means. But I want to just encourage us to allow God to mend and restore what is broken. Maybe repenting for trying to be too self-sufficient. Trusting in the community in which he has called us. I want to encourage you to walk in obedience to all that God has called you to do. In this community, but also in the world. He is equipping you to do his will for Jesus' glory. I, and I, I don't want to trivialize the peace and equipping that God works in our lives, but I, I want to give us a bit of an analogy to understand this more. I want to tell you about our dog, Dakota. Some of you guys who have been to our house, you've seen what she looks like. There's, there, I think we have a picture in there. This is one of those rare circumstances when she's actually sleeping. 
She's small. She's about eight pounds. She has a lot of energy and likes to play. She spends a lot of time at home and typically likes being wherever we are. And I've told you before, she can be a little bit demanding when she wants to play and you're there. She wants to play with you. But she's also fairly easily stressed out. When we do take her into the car, in the car with us, she is anxious. She has to sit in the driver's seat. And since I don't like to let anybody else drive, which has something to do with anxieties of my own, she has to sit on my lap. Now, I drive a stick shift car, so you try to juggle a dog, a steering wheel, and a stick at the same time, and it gets quite exciting. But one of the things that we, happens with Dakota, when we're driving, when we're, for instance, going over to Danielle's parents' house, which is normally what we would do on a Sunday afternoon, she'll be sitting there, and she's pawing at the window, trying to get at whatever car is driving by, looking at whatever grass. She's just super anxious. And she's just trying to, to do this. She's moving all around. We can do very little to console her. In fact, Danielle called my sister-in-law a couple weeks ago and said, what can we do to calm her down? And she said, well, give her some CBD. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. And every now and then she'll get so agitated with what all is going on, so nervous that she'll tuck her head between my arm and the door. And she'll just close out everything for a few seconds. And then she'll come back and start pawing again. She'll just, she's a mess. But here's what I want you to think about with this. You see, if if the trip that we're going to take was long enough, she might wear herself out enough to take a nap in my arms. Or if she finds that there's some food in the car, because we do bring food for her, that she might be able to be distracted with that for a few minutes. But her stressing is not going to change the fact that she's not in charge. Her stressing out doesn't change the fact that we are her owners and we are looking out for her good. We are caring for her. We are equipping her with all the food that she needs, with all the love that she needs, all the care that she needs. She just needs to yield and trust that we know what we're doing. And there are times when I can be so much like Dakota in my relationship with God. The anxiety turns into stress and passive aggressive comments. I need to trust that God's got this, that he's going to supply exactly what I need. That he will mend what needs to be healed. I need to trust him and yield to his ways. And ultimately, I think that if we would truly live out the life that God has called for us according to his ways, we will still encounter scorn and shame. And there will be stress from external circumstances. But there will be contentment knowing that God's got this. He knows what he's doing. Since Jesus is the great shepherd, let me close this by reading a very familiar psalm and i want to read it slowly and i want if if, in fact let me encourage you just to close your eyes and hear the words of psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are the God of peace. Lord, you've brought us true and lasting peace through Jesus Christ. Peace that allows us to to live and move and have our being in him. Peace that gives us hope for eternity. And yet with him being our good shepherd, that peace is daily and present in our lives. Lord, thank you for doing all that you've done to equip us, to mend, restore, repair, to supply us with all that we need to do your will. So, Lord, help us to recognize that in your, in your wisdom, you are accomplishing something beautiful and wonderful in us. Lord, you are sovereign and in control. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust and what you've supplied. That it is sufficient to accomplish the will that you've, you've called us to. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.